tells John in Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, he says, write down the things which you have seen. That's chapter 1. That's the, the vision of Jesus that he sees, and that applies, well, really to the whole book, right? But, but very much to the first churches, the seven churches that are written to. The Lord also tells John, write down, not only write down the things which you have seen, but the things which are. And that's the letters that will be written to the seven churches. And that's what we've been looking at for, gosh, almost two months we've been looking at the seven churches. And we finished that last Sunday. And so now we're moving on to the third breakdown. So once again, write down the things which are, chapter 1. Excuse me, the things which you've seen, chapter 1, the things which are, chapters 2 and 3. And then the last section is the things which must take place after this. That's chapters 4 through 22. These are all futuristic events. This is what we usually think of when we think of the word prophecy. Things that have yet to come, where God tells us or gives us insight into what will take place in the future. Chapters 4 through 22 are exactly that for us. But before we get into it, I think it's good for us to understand some of the timing and some of the meaning of where Revelation is going to take us. And I think there's no better place than Matthew chapter 24. And so that's what we're going to look at today, where Jesus himself gets into what's going to take place in the last days. And, uh, and it's a big section of Scripture, so actually I'm going to be covering a lot today. And my biggest fear was trying to throw too much out there, but you guys are super smart, so I know you'll keep up. That's not a problem. But it's just a lot of, lot of Scripture. So what we'll do is we'll take each section, and then um, I'll just say a little bit about it. For time's sake, there isn't time to cover everything. There's so much. And I think it's important that we realize, again, what Jesus is talking about here in Matthew chapter 24, and what we'll see as we get further into Revelation, as we study the whole book of Revelation, is that God sets himself apart from everyone else, in that he knows the beginning from the end. And he says that specifically in Isaiah uh, chapter 46. He basically puts out this challenge Going, you want to test any God, any prophet, anyone? Let them do this. That they know the beginning from the end. That he is God. There is none like him. And he knows it all. He is outside of time. Therefore, he can speak to events that have not happened with absolute clarity. Now, he doesn't always give us. In fact, very rarely does he give us absolute clarity. But he gives us enough to know that this is the God that we serve. And, and again, it, it does set him apart. It, it sets the Lord and it sets the scriptures apart. There are very, very few groups, cults, religions, whatever, that even attempt to speak prophecy. And when they do, it is super vague. A guy is going to show up with wrong intentions, and then when somebody does, like, wow, it's prophetic. No, it's super vague. God gives dates, He gives times, He gives events that. Even until 100 years ago, people said that's absolutely impossible. The idea of a one-world government, a one-world financial system, people went, that's ridiculous. That can never happen. And now we go, oh, that's very realistic. That could happen tomorrow, right? And so the Lord speaks to things and does things that throughout church history, 
There have been those that say that will never happen. We're going to look at a couple of those that are spoken of here in Matthew chapter 24. Um, but, uh, and, I, and I thought about doing like a whole prophecy update and go, well, these, these events have happened within the last year or five years or whatever. But again, I just thought it's, it's going to be enough for us to just look at the words of Jesus, to just look what he had to say and, and to get us ready. And it's important, too, that he doesn't tell us these things. Prophecy isn't given to us to freak us out or to make us panic or to, to make us paranoid. And a lot of people approach prophecy like that. What You know, the one world government or the mark of the beast, and they kind of freak out and start spinning out of control. That's not the point of it. The point of it, as we'll see today, is that we would watch for our master's return. Though we don't know the day or the hour, we certainly can know the seasons because he gives them to us. He describes what those seasons are going to look like. And, and the point is that we would be looking up because our redemption draws near, right? And, and so, again, this is all just to kind of lay the foundation before we get into Revelation. Um, and, and if anybody has questions, I know we've kind of cut the question and answer part out, but still, I, I want you guys to text me, talk to me after church, whatever, because again, there's a lot of stuff I'm just not going to get to. And it's always funny to me because not every Bible study, but many of them will have someone say, hey, you know what? You didn't speak about this. It's like, I didn't speak about a ton of stuff. We'd be here all day, right? I mean, there's so much uh, always in, in every section of scripture, but especially here, man, there's so much. Um, so let's pray. And again, we'll just uh, kind of hit the high points of Matthew 24 to lay the foundation for Revelation. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, as always, we desperately need to hear from you. And God, as we get into your word today, I pray that you'd speak to us. Holy Spirit, that you'd explain and apply your word to our lives. Give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see and hearts to receive. Lord, we don't want to miss a thing. And again, we just submit this time. We submit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So starting verse 1 of Matthew chapter 24. It says, Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And his disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you see all of these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of, the, of your coming and of the end of the age. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and pestilence, earthquakes in various places. All of these are the beginnings of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all the nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise and deceive many. And because of lawlessness, 
Because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Now that's a lot that Jesus unloads. And the disciples asked a couple of questions, right? Now again, keep the, the picture in your mind. They're in the temple, which had been started um, way back with Ezra, and then and more work was done through the t- ages. But then uh, Herod came in, Herod the Great, who is ruling in some way, had some authority when Jesus was born, and he really did some amazing things to the temple. And so as they're leaving, the disciples are like, man, Lord, isn't it great? Look at how beautiful the temple is. And it was beautiful. The, the dome on top of the temple was, was laid in gold, and there were other gold fixtures all over the place, and, and the stones that were making up the temple and the wall around it were massive, massive. Some of them six feet wide, 12 feet long, massive stones that even now we're like, I'm not sure how we could move that, right? So that's why when Jesus said, I tell you the truth, not one of these stones will be left on another. The disciples were shocked. It meant a lot more than that too. For the temple to be destroyed would mean that Israel is going to be absolutely obliterated. All of Israel could have fallen and the temple stood and Israel would still say, no, we're still here, right? So to say that the temple will be laid waste is to say that Israel is also going to be laid waste. So there was a lot that Jesus, when he made that statement, the disciples were shocked. And so they come and they ask, what's the the sign of your coming? And what they're really asking, they're not talking about Jesus dying, resurrecting, ascending into heaven and coming back. They're talking about him having full authority. And then what is the sign of the end of the age, right? When is this age of mankind going to come to an end? And so he spends the rest of chapter 24 and actually clear through chapter 25 answering their question, right? It's a lot. And again, I picture the disciples probably like we would have been nodding their head like, oh, yes, I fully understand. They didn't get any of it, right? But for us... It's important, and, and again, it, it, it lays out the times that I believe that we're living in right now. But I think, first of all, we need to understand Matthew 24 is, is an incredibly powerful and important set of Scripture. It gives us not only a description of what these times are going to look like, it also gives us the timing of some very important events, and it lines up with key places in the book of Revelation. But first, we have to understand that there's a breakdown to Matthew 24. And I wrote, in case anybody is taking notes and wants to write these down, and you could vary them a verse or two in either direction. But starting with the section we just read, Jesus gives his first description of the end times. He's actually going to give the, describe the end times four different times. And each time he starts that description, you have to kind of reset, Right? A lot of people have taken Matthew 24 as a linear description of the events that will happen. If you do that, it becomes very confusing. This is one of the reasons people will take the book of Revelation and they try and put chapter 6 after chapter 18 and they try and rearrange the whole book because they're trying to make it fit a linear idea of Matthew chapter 24. That's not what's happening here. Jesus describes the end times. He's answering their questions. 
He's going to give four different descriptions, and each time he's going to dial in or focus in on something different. Okay, so the first one, he's talking about the seasons before the tribulation. We're not even getting to the great tribulation yet. This is just what the world's going to look like before we even get there. This is going to be the slow descent of man that's going to be picking up speed before we come to the end. The second section, verses 15 through 25, he's going to describe a very specific event that happens at the midpoint of the tribulation and that applies to Israel. This is for Israel and for them to understand. The third section is verses 26 through 35, where Jesus describes his return, the great sign of the Son of Man in heaven that all of the world will see. Again, that's one of those things, John mentions it in chapter 1 of Revelation, that every eye will see him. And people went, that's impossible. How can the whole world see one single event? And now we go, pick a social media platform. I think it's going to be a whole lot more than that. It's going to be an event that is seen by the entire world, and it's not required for social media. But now we understand, certainly, an event can be seen by the whole world. And then the fourth time Jesus describes the end times is verses 36 through 41. And he describes specifically the rapture of the church. Um, Verses 42 through 51 are parables that kind of show us what our place is, what our purpose is now that we have this knowledge, right? So again, he's not saying, here, I'm giving you this knowledge now Go do something super important that you know, you'll have to figure out on your way or crack some code or any of that. Look, you've got this. And now that you've got it, here's your purpose. And he tells these parables to show what our purpose is. So in this first section, verses 1 through 14, again, this is the season leading up to the Great Tribulation. And it's a little confusing because the word tribulation is actually used several times in the book of, or in the chapter 24 here. And it only once or twice is it referring to the Great Tribulation. It just means difficulty, and so it's used quite a lot, and it can cause some some confusion. So this is the tribulation before the tribulation. There's going to be false teachers. There's going to be false messiahs. There's going to be earthquakes and disease and pestilence, and the love of many is going to grow cold because of lawlessness. Now, these things have always existed. They existed before Jesus was on the scene, as far as like the earthquakes and the love of many growing cold and those things. And then after Jesus was on the scene, then people started saying, well, no, I'm Jesus, or I'm the Messiah. And that's, that's really all it requires, right? It doesn't need that somebody comes in and says, I'm Jesus. It means they're coming on the scene going, I'm going to save you. I'm going to save you from all your problems. That's about every politician that we've heard. <laughs> I'm going to save you from all of your trials and difficulties. And then, you, of course, you get into the cult leaders and, and false prophets and all of those things, that there's going to be a rise of them. Earthquakes and pestilence. Again, these things have existed. But the idea here is that as we get closer to the end times, they're going to happen with more frequency and more intensity. And we see it historically. Interesting Even if you go like earthquakes, right? So, I mean, you could say, well, maybe we're just noticing more like false teachers and those things. 
But if you go to, I believe it's the USGS website, they have a long history of earthquakes. And it's not that their equipment has gotten better, it has, but they were able to record even minor earthquakes on a worldwide level 40 years ago. And you can look at the frequency and intensity of earthquakes, and it's in about a 10-year cycle. You see it growing, growing, growing. A few years ago, they actually started calling earthquakes swarms. That, that so many of them were happening within a certain area, they go, well, that's just a swarm of earthquakes. Like, a swarm? <laughs> They're coming in swarms now. So just like Jesus said, these things are going to be happening more and more. Um, but again, as we get closer to the end of this age, this age of mankind, they are going to grow with frequency and intensity. And I, and I think in a lot of ways, what he's describing here, it, it looks like what we're seeing on the news. It looks like we're, what we're reading about in the paper and the things that are taking place. So let's move on. Verse 20, excuse me, verse 15 says, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, and then Matthew makes a note, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down take anything out of his house. Let him who is on, in the field not go back for his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight does not, that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then will be great tribulation, such as the world since has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, if possible even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. This is the second description of the end times. But it's very specific. And a lot of people would look at this, and what Jesus describes there, and they'll go, oh, well, that's describing what took place in 70 AD. When Rome came in, they leveled Jerusalem, they leveled the temple. That's this, what Jesus is warning about. Um, and there are a few similarities, but not enough to say, that's correct. Now, 70 AD is when not one stone would be left on another. Um, and there's some mis I, misinformation, I guess, or unclearness about how it all went down. But basically, they had pretty much leveled Jerusalem, the Romans had. They'd left part of the temple up, or they, excuse me, they'd left the main part of the temple up. And some zealots got inside, and, and a fire started. They don't know where the fire started. Could have been the Romans, probably was the Romans. And it melted the gold that was on the dome and on the other parts of the temple that then seeped down into the wall, which caused Rome to go after the gold and not one stone was left upon another. Just like Jesus said. Right? That was their motivation, was the gold. But what is Jesus talking about here in Matthew 24 if he's not talking about 70 AD and the leveling of, of the temple? This is a very specific event. And he, the fact that he points back to Daniel is also important. Because in Daniel chapter 9, 
We're told that this seven years, this last seven years, the tribulation, the great tribulation is what we call it, is specifically for Israel. That's who God's after. Now, there's other things that are going to be taking place. But this time is set apart for Daniel and his people. The last seven years. And so, Jesus points to this event halfway through the tribulation. And it lines up with Revelations chapters 12 and 13. This is when the Antichrist is going to go into the temple. Now understand that for the first three and a half years of the tribulation, everybody loves this guy. Everybody thinks this guy really is a savior. Israel is going to believe that he is the Messiah. And he's going to bring peace, and he's going to bring organization, and he's going to cause mankind to really rise up from the ashes. A horrible event takes place at the beginning of the tribulation, a worldwide earthquake. This guy's going to bring everybody back together. He's going to bring peace. They're going to rebuild the temple. But then something happens halfway through. While Israel believed he's the Messiah, they sign a covenant with him. He goes into the temple and sets up some sort of idol, some sort of image, and causes people to worship it. And at that point, Israel goes, you're not the Messiah. And they'll get it for the first time, and Jesus is. Their eyes are going to be opened. It is the key moment of salvation for the nation of Israel, and it takes place right here. And that's why Jesus describes it. That's why Matthew says, if you're reading this, know it. Understand it. Because it is the key moment for Israel. But when that happens, man, the Antichrist is going to point all of his power at Israel to destroy them. And they will have to run. It will change like that. And they're going to be running for their lives with the enemy chasing them like a flood is what's described in Revelation chapter 12. God's going to take care of them. God's going to preserve them. But it is a key moment in their salvation. And again, it reminds us that Israel is not, God is not done with Israel. There are some people who say, oh no, Israel's time's done. They've, they've used up their effectiveness. They, they didn't believe in the Messiah. No, God's not done. Make, Book of Romans makes that very clear. But we're going to see God's hand upon Israel in a whole new way during the tribulation. The Antichrist is the abomination which causes desolation. And they're going to get that and understand it. Okay, verse 26. It says, Therefore, if they say to you, Look, he is in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he is in the inner room. Do not believe it. For as lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also is the coming of the Son of Man. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the, power, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then the Son of Man will appear in the heavens. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. 
And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Again, we reset for the third description. Jesus again speaks of false messiahs and false teachers. Speaking of the time that's leading up to the great tribulation. And he says, don't go out. If they say, here's the Christ, here's the Messiah, don't go out. And he he uses these two descriptions that are, one we get, but one's a little bit odd. Where he says, like lightning flashes from the east to the west. In other words, lightning flashes, and if you're outside, you don't miss it. Even if it happens behind you, the whole sky lights up. You're not going to miss it, right? And he goes, where the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered. You're like, what? (laughs) Or at least I did for years. Eagles just simply means birds of prey. And where there's a dead animal, they circle in the sky, and you can see them from anywhere. And so the idea is, is that when you see that sign, you know what it means. The whole point of what Jesus is saying by those two stories is nobody's going to miss it. And when the Son of Man returns, no one is going to miss it. Again, every eye will see it. And this is what John said in, in uh, Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. Every eye will see his return. And Jesus gives this description, man, and it's powerful. It's one of those that I can't even really imagine what it would look like. You know, and, and I've got a pretty good imagination. I watch plenty of TV and movies and special effects and stuff, so I feel like I can really whip up some interesting ideas. And this one, I'm just like, nope, I, I don't, I cannot wrap my mind around what this would look like other than super powerful. The sign of the Son of Man appearing in heaven, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn. Um, This is the starting of the tribulation. This is the event that keys it all off. And this is why I wanted to get into this. This is one of my main reasons for wanting to get into this, because it sets the timing up for everything else. And if we can just even kind of get a little bit of an idea of the timing, I think it causes the book of Revelation to make a lot of sense. As Jesus describes this, um, and we'll look more at it when we get there, but it lines up perfectly with what's described in Revelation chapter 6. The same event, him appearing on the clouds, bringing the church up all at once, and these other huge events that will take place worldwide. Um, give you a little bit of a backstory. And again, we'll look at it more when we get there. But Revelation chapter 6, what's going on, maybe we should back up a little further. Revelation chapters 4 through 6, almost everything that we'll read about is all taking place in heaven. Okay? The book of Revelation is, is from two perspectives, one from earth and one from heaven. Chapters 4 and 5, everything's in heaven. Nothing's affected earth at all. Nothing has happened. There's no scary theme music playing. No signs have appeared. Nothing. In chapter 6, the Lord begins to break the seven seals. Seals 1 through 5 are also all in heaven. 
things are unleashed on the earth that will take place, that will happen over time, but earth has still been unaffected by the first five seals. But the sixth seal is broken, and earth immediately is affected. There's a worldwide earthquake. Every mountain, every island is moved from its place. The stars fall from heaven and against the earth. And there was meteors, whatever you want to call it, huge events taking place. And along with that, actually I believe at the very beginning of that is what's described, what Jesus describes for us here in Matthew 24, is that that great sign in heaven is what begins it all. Man, he's going to show up and all the world will see him. The church is taken away. And honestly, nobody will even realize we're gone because of the chaos that ensues afterwards. A worldwide earthquake. And meteor strikes or whatever they are, absolute chaos. I think about the earthquake that took place, you know, what was it, 10 years ago, 12 years ago here? And and phones went down, right? Nobody had cell phones or anything. And we're completely cut off from the world. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's all it takes. Absolutely no communication happening worldwide. But they will know who started it. They will know who's in charge of it. And that's why John in chapter 1 and Jesus here in Matthew 24, and again in chapter 6 of Revelation, it says that all of the nations will mourn because they've missed it. Because Jesus has has arrived, the tribulation has begun, and they are terrified of him who has arrived on the clouds. Now, it also gives us a timing of the rapture. Again, Matthew 24 Revelation 6 shows us where it begins. And with that beginning, Jesus attaches this in verse 31. He says, He will send out His angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will be gathered together and gather together His elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. And He's going to touch on that even more. Verse 32, Jesus is going to tell a parable right in the middle of all of this. It says, now learn this parable from the fig tree. When the branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, know that it is near, at the door. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Now, this seems a little out of place. Like, Jesus is talking about all these things, and all of a sudden he's like, and here's a parable. (laughs) But it's important, again, because what he's laying down is the timing of these events. And specifically, using Israel as the example. Uh, It doesn't mean a lot to us, but in the Old Testament, many times Israel is called the fig tree, or referred to and uh, equated with the fig tree. And so Jesus tells this parable of Israel. And he's letting them know that Israel is going to come back. Now, he already told them, look, Israel is going to be defeated. The temple is going to be destroyed. Jerusalem is going to be leveled. But they're going to come back. Come back from a long winter. And he says, when you see that it's starting 
to put forth leaves. There's a healthiness to it. There's a, there's a fruitfulness to it. When Israel rises from the ashes. And that's the thing. You know, you look, go back and read commentaries a hundred years ago. And you know the event that they were looking for? Israel to become a nation again. That was the event that they're like, that has to be the Lord. How in the world could Israel come back and be a nation once again? How could the temple ever be rebuilt? They don't have a nation. They don't have Jerusalem. They don't have anything. And we forget. To me, this is the most important prophecy. And it's mentioned several times that Israel is going to come back and be a nation again. That happening is the most significant event in all futuristic prophecy that we've seen. 1948, Israel became a nation once again. And, and just put it into perspective. No nation in the history of the world ever has been conquered, scattered, and come back, ever. Israel's done it twice. The second time in 1948. That God's hand birthed the nation of Israel again in a day. Brought them back from the dead. Their long winter was 1,870 years long. <laughs> Hannah and I were talking on the way here. Our nation has been around like 250 some odd years. They were not a nation for 1,800 years. They weren't, they weren't a nation. They were scattered worldwide. And God brings them back, and they are a nation once again. Now, it's not just that they would be a nation. Not that they would just be alive, surviving. The idea of what Jesus tells in this parable is that they will be healthy, strong, and fruitful. And that's exactly what we see with Israel. <laughs> Again, blows my mind what Israel has accomplished. Scientifically, agriculturally, they are unstoppable. Now, why is that important? Because Jesus says, that the generation that sees that will by, by no means pass away until all these things take place. The nation, or excuse me, the generation to see Israel come back from the dead and be fruitful will see the end times. It's important timing. If we don't understand that, all this stuff just is interesting, possible, out there, but when we realize we are that generation. Verse 36. Is that where I'm at? Verse 36? Yes. Thank you. You guys stay, keep with me. <laughs> keep me on track. I'm still in the wrong place. Here we go. I'm almost there. Yes. Okay, verse 36. But of that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill and one will be taken and the other left. Watch, therefore, 
for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. Jesus talks about that no one knows the day or the hour. The funny part to me, in a sad way, funny and sad, is about every year or two, someone comes out with a book claiming to know the day or the hour, right? They've got all the signs figured out. They found some code in the Bible. They've got something about the moons and stars aligning. And man, now we know when the, when the Lord's coming back. I'm like, well, I'm sure it ain't that day, right? <laughs> Pick any day you want. We don't know the day or the hour. However, he does give us all of these things that we might understand the seasons and what they look like. And he describes them as being like the days of Noah. So in the days of Noah, there was a couple things. There was great violence. That the thoughts of man and the intents of their heart were evil all the time. Uh, and great selfishness. But I think there's a different message. That's usually what we take away from that. Going, well, yeah, they're evil people. That's why the judgment came. But I think what Jesus is saying here along with that is where the key part is where he says they were eating and drinking and giving in marriage. See, life in Noah's day and life right before Jesus returns is going to seem like normal life. It's a day like any other day. People get up, they go to work, they pay their bills, they get married, whatever they're doing. Again, it's a day like any day. It's a normal day. There isn't some clock ticking down in the sky. There isn't some scary music playing in the background to warn them of a bad event about to happen. It's a day like any other. It's how it was in Noah's day until it was too late. And the coming of Jesus Christ will be the same. A day like any other day until the church is gone. And these events all take place to start the tribulation. Two will be together, one will be taken, the other left. And it'll be that fast, the twinkling of an eye. Now again, this is important for the timing because there's, in the tribulation, the big discussion is, does the rapture of the church, that point where every believer is whisked away instantly, does it happen in the beginning, the middle, or the end? It's not a salvation issue, so I don't spend a lot of time talking about why I think what I think, and I won't argue with people about it. I'm like, yeah, you want to believe that? That's fine. I've got good friends, and I, they love the Lord, and they're post-tribulation rapture people. I'm awesome. But here's the thing. The midpoint of the tribulation, once it starts, we know the exact day. It's exactly three and a half years to the midpoint. It's exactly to the day, seven years to the end. You would know the day if it was mid or post. The only day that can't be known is the start. It's the only day where it'll be a day like any other. Once the tribulation begins, there's never going to be a normal day ever again. People are going to be running in absolute panic in every direction all the time. Only the beginning do we know. And again, we're given between... Matthew 24, and we'll see more as we get into Revelation, we get such a clear description of what that's going to look like. Jesus is going to appear without warning. 
all the earth will see him. The church will be whisked away. There's going to be a worldwide earthquake, which uh, there's a thing called the polar axis shift, where the earth just suddenly goes, boop. <laughs> and there's a, a, I should have looked it up, scripture, and I believe Isaiah, and it talks about the earth wobbling to and fro like a drunkard. And that's the idea. Is the, the earth just goes, boop, and it throws everything into chaos. We know it's happened before. Right around the flood of Noah would probably be a good guess of when it, the last one happened. Also, there's a description, again, we don't, can't know for sure, but it sure sounds like a meteorite striking the earth, causing a dust cloud that surrounds the earth. All of these things are, are logical, but whatever it is will be supernatural right? God is going to be the one in control of all of these things. Again, absolute chaos on the earth. Jesus said it's the worst time that the earth has ever known or ever will know. That's a pretty tall order. You think about horrible events that have taken place in the history of mankind. If you study history at all, there are so many things you come across and go, that's terrible. They'll all pale in comparison. And the earth will mourn and hide from Jesus because of fear, because of this great sign in heaven that has now appeared. So with all of this, what do we do now? What are we called to? What's the point of even studying these things and looking at these things? Is it just to scare us and make us nervous? Actually, that's not the point at all. Again, Jesus, the... The rest of chapter 24 into chapter 25, Jesus is going to tell a couple different parables. But the point of each one of those parables is pretty much the same, and it's really summed up here in chapter 24, verse 42, where he says, Watch, therefore, for you do not know the hour of your Lord's coming. He's going to exhort us to be faithful stewards. Then when our master arrives, he finds us doing exactly what he's put us in charge of, exactly what's in our life, in our influence, to be investing the gospel into the people that are around us, the good news of Jesus' love, knowing that our time is short. See, that's the other thing that I think is important here. Again, you can look at prophecy and you can look at some major ones that have been fulfilled. Russia signing a treaty and keeping it with Iran, major never happened in the history of the world that these two countries have come together. But they have now, and that points towards other prophecies to be fulfilled, and Israel being formed into a nation. Again, we can study these things and go, okay, this is all pretty scary. But the point is, is that we understand our time here is limited. Our time here is limited anyway. We might be taken home today individually. We're not guaranteed of tomorrow. We don't know how long our life will be. But even if we should live, our Lord could return for us today. And when he arrives, we want him to find us so doing. We want to be the good servant that went, hey, my master's coming an hour I don't expect, so I just better expect it every hour. <laughs> but the evil servant said, my master delays his coming. And he went on to eat and drink, feed the flesh, do whatever he wanted, and it says, and beat his fellow servants. Treating others harshly, without love. 
Man, let us be those that are looking up and watching for our master's return. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that you are the one in charge of all things. So much of this we don't want us to be fearful, but Lord, thank you that we don't need to be afraid of you. Thank you that we can trust and put our lives in your hands and look to you for the answers and for your provision. Thank you that you're coming for your church, that you are going to remove us from this place and take us into heaven to be with you forever. And God, that we can have that hope, even in the worst of times. God, we submit ourselves to you. Do your will in our lives to make us good stewards of your gospel, that we would share the love of Jesus Christ with those in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.